Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio right now with Andy Green, and we're going to talk Smashing Pumpkins, because the Smashing Pumpkins are back, sort of, and have been back for a while, sort of. Anyway, it's all very confusing, but one thing everyone knows and everyone seems to care about more than you might think they'd care about is that Darcy Retsky the original bass player of Smashing Pumpkins, will not be involved in this reunion. Why does everyone care so much? Because I, I wasn't hearing the world asking about Darcy during no. the entire time she was gone for I 18 years. I heard some of that. Well, once it, in a while I was, where's Darcy? But it wasn't yeah. like, I need to see Darcy play bass right I now. I think she was this mysterious figure in the group that everybody was kind of fascinated with in the 90s. And then she just vanished. And you've seen a few mug shots and whatnot in recent years, but no one's really seen her. They haven't seen her play, certainly. And we've seen plenty of James Eha in a perfect circle and tinted windows. And he even guested at a few Pumpkins gigs about two years ago. But Darcy has not been seen. No Darcy. Yes. And there's some sense that this reunion, because, you know, to be clear, what they've announced is a very big arena tour that will focus on their 90s classics and play arenas in a very produced and ambitious show. There's this sense that somehow this reunion is invalid because it does not include Darcy. Yes, and I think the argument is that Billy and the Pumpkins have been on tour in various forms for the past decade. And for much of that, or for big chunks of it, they've had Jimmy Chamberlain. And to just bring James Eha back seems like not the whole way there towards a reunion. It's not the vision of the Smashing Pumpkins in the minds of the fans, and they've seen plenty of partial reunions, so this is not the big event that they're waiting for in a lot of ways. Do you think it's going to matter when it comes to ticket sales and the performance of this tour? I think to some degree, yes. If you look at the comments on the various web stories about this, every comment is about Darcy. I know plenty of fans myself that are very let down. I still think, however... If they make it clear it's just the 90s songs and they promote the hell out of it, it sort of becomes a thing where people don't even realize the Pumpkins have been touring for a while. I think some casual fans that are only kind of aware there are still the Pumpkins will want to go to the basketball arena and sing along to Disarm and Today. I think this calls for one of my most told anecdotes that I don't think I've ever told on this show, <laughs> but this is a true story, which is uh, I was in the audience in New Jersey at uh, the uh, East Rutherford Arena and waiting through many, many, many opening acts one day in 2006. Then the opening acts included Papa Roach and stuff, waiting for the 2006 version of Guns N' Roses to take the stage. And in the course of the long evening leading up to their midnight arrival on stage, uh, the guy next to me goes, hey man, is, uh, is Axel still in Guns N' Roses? And I said... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he's in. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and I always wondered, what did that guy think he was buying tickets to? He didn't care. He was buying tickets to the name Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I think people see <laughs> Sticks and Journey and Foreigner and are only kind of aware that something's up with it, but they play, <laughs> the, but they play the hits. And even if it's Arnel Pineda, you know, who's singing for Journey, he sounds right. They're playing. Don't stop believing. It's a fun night. You're drunk. So... I think to a lot of fans, it's the songs they want to hear, and it's still going to work for them. That said, for the Pumpkins go, to go out and play this many arenas is a questionable thing. And even Billy said in his text to Darcy that she released, if this tour fails, we are toast. So he's aware that this is very high stakes. 
So to be clear for people who have not been following every twist of this, Darcy Retsky is not only not part of the tour, but she's sort of gone rogue. She's gone rogue and has started posting Billy's text to her. Yeah. And some people were inclined to read them in a very damning way. However, I think a combination for me of journalistic skepticism and my own experience of, you know, I, I profiled Billy Corgan pretty extensively for a, a 2010 feature that's worth looking up uh, at some point because it did not seem like the Pumpkins were going to reunite at, the, at that point. In fact, him and Jimmy Chamberlain were at incredible odds at that point, and maybe we'll talk about that later. But I, I'm sympathetic towards Billy. I think that Darcy has not released the full story. She selectively released texts. Her exchange starts after things had already happened that we don't know about. It starts with her saying, I'm sorry I couldn't be in L.A. with you guys. It's like, well, why couldn't you be in L.A.? We don't know. Well, what happened is Billy started to post Instagram photos of the band recording with James and Jimmy. And the obvious question was, so where's Darcy? (laughs) And I think that when she saw that, she started to text him, but they've been talking for at least a year. Right. We don't know the phone calls. We don't know the previous texts. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what the Pumpkins said about Darcy. In reuniting the Smashing Pumpkins, the band's dedication remains to its fans and its music. To that, that's weird, to that, (laughs) James Eha, Jimmy Chamberlain, and William Corgan write, uh, are we going to call him William? I thought he was back to Billy now. I I thought he flipped it back. I'm going to go with Billy. Yeah, he's still Billy. Billy. And, And William Corgan haven't played a show with Darcy Retsky for over 18 years, but it's not for a lack of trying. For, despite reports, Ms. Retsky has repeatedly been invited out to play with the group, participate in demo sessions, or at the very least, meet face-to-face. So they haven't seen her in 18 years, to be clear, well, right? She claims that she wasn't asked to go to the recording sessions. And in each and every instance, she always deferred, which... I like that word because it, it, it sounds realistic. It sounds like they may have reached out to her and she goes, oh, you know, a couple weeks and then I can imagine that, well, can't you? Yeah, and if you read the text messages, to be fair to Billy, he's being pretty reasonable. He's being like, you need shoulder surgery and you haven't been on a big tour in a long time. This would be very overwhelming. We need to go after this slowly. <laughs> it's tough. Basically, he was definitely, according to the text, was proposing that she would have a role, right? And it, yes. it, it, he compared it to something. What did he compare it to? He compared it to Steven Adler on the GNR tour, which is a little unfair. And he says that Steven guessed it a few times and nobody complained. And the fans loved it. <laughs> when in reality, Steven played two songs at five separate shows and was furious about it. So he seemed to be offering like cameos on the tour. He's kind of also a, a, a latter-day Bill Wyman role, or, right? Or like Mick Taylor. Mick more. Taylor, yeah. Yeah, where he, where he toured with the Stones in 2013 or so and, and was out for two songs a night. Right. But he did say to give her a tour bus, let her go on the tour, and we'll see how it goes. But he also hired Peter Hook's son to play bass on the tour. Yeah. A recent uh, guest on Rolling Stone Music Now, Peter Hook, has a son who's a bass player who is going to be the bass player to Smashing Pumpkins. So Yeah, and it's a rare move because it's a male bass player where the, the bulk of the replacements to Darcy have been women. There's three of them at least. 
So what Billy texted her and listen, is it kind of a violation that she posted these texts? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, she seems to have a line of communication and kudos to this site that I was not super familiar with called alternativenation.net has a real line into her and, and total kudos to them for, uh, you know, they got these texts and did a, an exclusive and very lengthy interview with her. So Billy wrote, we've got 13 demos so far. Not sure if I'll write anymore. Work has gone really well. Sounds fresh, just us being us with big drums and guitars, but also the music sounds fun in a way it hasn't sounded for a long time. So it's a nice balance of today and, and the old days of just going for it. And they're working with Rick Rubin. And so you hear from me, we want to involve in the tour however you'd like to be involved. I think it will mean a lot to fans if you're up on stage every night. And even if you can't play due to your shoulder stuff, you certainly can sing Daydream and participate in other ways. Our perspective is we want this to be minimal stress and a maximum fun for you. Certainly that is our approach and it is working, exclamation point. So you just have to let us know how you want us to be involved. See, again, this she definitely had previously told him that she had a shoulder issue. Yeah, but but these discussions are post Instagram photo which was like a few weeks ago why in the hell explain the, the Instagram photo was what they posted of the reunion that yeah. didn't her. yeah so why if this tour was announced yesterday why are they talking about this a but a week ago shouldn't this have been dealt with <laughs> months ago I don't know he's casually talking about this thing as if it's not this huge enterprise that's about to start <laughs> I think she kept, quote unquote, deferring. Okay. And they said, you know what? I mean, this is someone who has a, a history, they might argue, of flakiness from their perspective. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to work. We're getting this guy. And it would be great to have her as part of this, but we got to move forward. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That That's my perspective. Yeah. And or my best she path. has a documented history of addiction issues, and it's unclear where <laughs> as, does, as does Jimmy Chamberlain, obviously. Yes, but he's been clean for a long time, and it's proven that. It's just so little is known about Darcy's life. Now, yeah. that's the thing. There's a huge question mark of how healthy is she physically and mentally. We There's just no way to know for sure. She says she like wrestles horses and stuff. She's in great shape, which, which may very well be. Yeah. But I... To me, the more essential issue is you can't have someone that you haven't seen in 18 years who, for all you know, has not touched a base in 18 years yeah. and just throw them into a giant arena tour. Yeah, but maybe you sit down with her six months ago and work this out. <laughs> and maybe they tried. We just yeah, don't know. We have no idea. And I think what she did is extremely ill-conceived because to me it's like I guess she hates money because mm-hmm. they probably would have given her millions of dollars or certainly a million dollars yeah. to be part of this tour to right. do whatever she wanted to show up for a couple songs yeah it was and to release the text was burning the bridge to the ground and then to talk to alternative nation and say that she thinks he's a brain tumor and he's insufferable and everything i mean that's not very smart even is he straddling and i would actually like to compare this a little bit to the guns and roses situation i think yes. that's a good idea even is he straddling who arguably got a little screwed over mm-hmm. in the the latest guns and roses reunion yeah because he could have been part of it and they i think they well according to him he basically has said that they made the rather mercenary decision that they didn't need him and that rather well, than giving him the amount of money that he would require, I think they made him a, a, a lowball offer. Well, yeah. yeah. He wanted to be paid as much as Slash and Duff and their counter-argument was you left the band <laughs> and we continued to play stadiums and nobody cared that you weren't there. <laughs> right. But Izzy didn't like post every text no. message he ever he had, had from Axel. He had a single tweet that he quickly erased saying that they wouldn't share the loot. Right. 
See, burning bridges to that extent, I, I think, is not super rational. But, you know, it's her decision. But one thing is clear, I think. Listen, I was going to say, one yeah. thing is clear. There's no way she's going to be part of the Smashing Pumpkins tour. No. That that said, look, in 2010, again, when, yeah. I, when I did my story, I mean, the amount of shit that these people talked about each other to me <laughs> it, uh, yeah. is, is absolutely incredible. I mean, they, they said things that... that you shouldn't be able to come back from actually, you know, um, th- Billy said that that James Eha <laughs> was incredibly passive aggressive. He said that he would act really hostile and then Billy would ask him what's wrong and be like nothing. <laughs> and that it was unbearable. And that so that and that the band essentially had devolved into two drug addicts and one person who hated me. Yeah. So and then when I and then I talked to Jimmy Chamberlain and he just like unloaded on Billy Corgan to me. He's like I fucking hate the 90s. No one's <laughs> sitting around staring at their at their album covers dreaming about Billy anymore. It's all over. And so that all they got over that. Yeah. So I, in a normal band, I would say this is you could never get over this. It might still be possible despite it, everything she it, might end up on well, stage. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that if I'm Billy Corrigan, I fly to Michigan, <laughs> I sit down with her, and I say, look, I want to get past everything, <laughs> yeah. you know, and can this still work? Because they have to go out. <laughs> I mean, while she's live streaming the conversation. <laughs> yeah, live streaming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, on, on Facebook Live. <laughs> yeah. But they have to go out now and sell this to her. And every interviewer will be like, "What will be like? where's Darcy? Yeah. And that'll be the headlines. It's just this cloud following the tour that makes it so difficult to go flog this thing on one level yes and on one level no we'll see i it's possible everyone's overplaying it mm, i think they book too many arenas maybe i mean it's a questionable thing how many tickets are they going to sell for this thing it was interesting and in that you know this may be a, a violation of of billy's privacy to a certain extent but darcy did suggest and look does it sound plausible yes she suggested that billy told her that the main reason he wants to do this right now is because he lost a bunch of money on his wrestling league mm-hmm. and listen man you know people do big tours for all sorts of reasons a lot right. a common reason is a divorce right <laughs> is to earn money I for your divorce you i think know? also he saw guns and roses and was like wait so it's the same lineup that had been touring small places for a while. You bring one guy back and all of a sudden it's 10 times bigger. <laughs> well, let's take a step back for a minute. One of the things that's happening right now, and I haven't seen anyone link these two things. On the one hand, you have an absolute wave, a significant wave of baby boomer classic rock retirements happening right now. Oz is going on his last tour. Paul Simon. It's yeah. just happening. Yeah. You know, Elton John. So then that's leaving an opening. And what's happening, Guns N' Roses is probably the most undercovered story in music in some level because these guys have gone out and they are the new Stones. Mm-hmm. They are proving that they have the kind of brand equity and reputation that, and, you know, frankly, musicianship. I mean, I, I, I might prefer a different kind of show to a certain extent, but they're they're going out and fairly killing it every night. Yeah. And they're showing that they can be a reliable, gigantic, steel wheels era style money making machine. And frankly, they could do it for another ten years, another yeah. fifteen years, another twenty. And just like the Stones. Without a note of new music. <laughs> well, yeah, like we said, the Chinese yeah. democracy from ten years ago is the new music. Yes. But it's a very familiar model. And and you know, Pearl Jam are expanding to stadiums, as you mentioned earlier. There's room, perhaps, as the boomers move aside, 
I think yeah. a lot of Xers are testing the waters yeah. to become Be- to take some of those slots. Yeah, if you look at the top grossing tours of last year, there were, was in the top five or so was Tom Petty on the Heartbreakers. And that's done forever, obviously. Yeah, so, I, I didn't even get into that. People yeah. dying as well, yeah. Yeah. So there's an opening, and as people that were teenagers in the 90s are older, they start to look back more. There's a real thing. The music that you loved at age 15 is the stuff you love forever. And most people stop really listening to a lot of new stuff around their mid-30s at least. And so they want to go back. It, it's yeah, it's like a big chill thing where they go back to the music of their college years. But now they have money to go spend on the shows. It's like a pretty good idea. There should be, Cameron, if you're listening, there needs to be a singles <laughs> sequel, yeah. you know, sort of about, about them now. Yeah. You know, like it could be all based around them going to the Smashing Pumpkins reunion show or something. <laughs> you know, that that's a... Or the Citizen Dick reunion show. Yeah, Come on. It, there we go. Right. Uh, there you go. But... It is happening. Of course, Generation X demographically and just factually is so much tinier than uh, millennials or baby boomers. Mm. But my sense is, and we will see, but my sense is that millennials actually really like the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I hear what you're saying. To me, I feel like most people that really care about the pumpkins were teenagers between 93 and 98. We really will see. But I will say this is one of the things that was really on Billy's mind when I talked to him was this issue around 2010. He really felt cast into the wilderness. He felt like he wasn't getting the respect he deserved. He felt like everyone, you know, preferred core indie rock. And then he was not a big pop act, not a cool act, just like nothing. I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like there's sort of status has solidified i feel like the 26 year old music writers now see them as basically led zeppelin as a, as a classic rock band i think that's a bit of a stretch i would argue i think they've had their period of success but they're nowhere near the legend of nirvana or anything like that or even close i would argue as much as as i love them we will see you said that darcy really represented something for a lot of fans right yeah i think for a lot of young women in the 90s that loved rock and roll, there were very few people outside of Hole or whatever, or at least Fair, that they could really like cling to. In the grunge bands, there were so few women, and Darcy looked so cool. And when she when she talked occasionally, she was so like kind of caustic and funny that she became, at least to my friends, a real role model. They didn't know much about her, but they loved her. <laughs> Part of the dynamic in the Pumpkins, and we're going to get through the narrative a little bit of the problems in the band, but part of the dynamic in the Pumpkins was the small fact that for their first couple albums, and especially on Siamese Dream, Billy played everything except the drums. Darcy didn't play any bass on Siamese Dream at all. Mm-hmm. Not a note. So from Billy's perspective, he later said he regretted that. He told David Frick and Rolling Stone that that what he really said, though, is they should have at least been given the opportunity, which means if 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 he didn't like it, he would just erase it. Right. But what happened with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which really stands as a remarkable achievement, you listen to it and, and you can hear the insane amount of work that went into it. Actually, Darcy just said to AlternativeNation.net that she worked so hard and had so much pressure that she had a miscarriage, which is horrifying. Mm. But they were working 20 hours a day just 
producing this gigantic kind of one of the crowning achievements and defining moments right. of 90s alt rock and they brought a therapist into the studio i believe just to help them get through it and just tell billy that maybe you should let them play on it too you know my understanding always was it kind of came down to there was so much music that billy corgan would be dead right now <laughs> if he tried to play all the parts on it there just was too much music just on a practical level mm-hmm. so he's like huh how am i gonna he's like oh right there's people in the band <laughs> right. what if i actually let them play their instruments yeah and and that I, I mean that's really my understanding of what happened and i think that that could have led to a brighter future for the band yeah and it's it's led to a misconception darcy was not a good bass player and if you watch the concerts if you hear the concerts she's playing great and she's totally good bass player and that's been kind of overlooked i think well what billy did is, is a strange thing i mean no doubt and listen but at the same time, Siamese Dream, you can't take that achievement away from him. What, what, he, what he said to me, what that produced in his head is the idea that he could make another Siamese Dream anytime he wanted. He just didn't feel like it, which right. isn't quite true. It's the same way that, you know, you have Beatles songs like back in the USSR yeah. where Paul Paul's playing drums, mm-hmm. Paul's playing bass. He might even be playing guitar. It might essentially be a Paul solo track. Right. But just that doesn't mean that at any point in his life he could just do that again because you sort of have to be in that moment moment in in that group yeah Yeah. and the pumpkins weren't nine inch nails it was not a one guy thing he started when it was yeah (laughs) but briefly but it started with him and james eha it was a band at first and he for periods or key periods where he took control but it's a band i mean again from his perspective um so Iha and Darcy, a lot of people have forgotten this. They were dating. They broke up, I think, during the Gish tour. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Chamberlain was, by his own account, was using hard drugs and drinking too much. So imagine you're the guy, you write all the songs, and then you got these two people who were like dating and all this, and then they broke up. And Iha is passive aggressive by his account, and Darcy's out there, and Jimmy's a drug addict. You can imagine that that it might have been a little difficult. Well, and Darcy also, she turned to drugs in a pretty hard way, which even she admits to. No, it was difficult, but a band is a band, and he didn't fight for it. We have a couple interview clips that you dug up. It's uh, Darcy talking. What's the first one we should play? There are very few clips on YouTube of Darcy talking. It was hard to find, but I found two of them that I enjoyed. There was one in 1998 when they were on Much Music in Canada, (laughs) and they were taking phone calls from fans, and a fan, they call up and ask Darcy a question, so we can play that if we have it. Let's hear that. would be great. Hi, you've got Uh, a question. uh, Yeah, um, I wanted to ask Darcy what it's like being the only... Um, female of the group when the others are male? <laughs> well, excuse me? She wants to know what it's like to be a girl with a bunch of dumb guys around. Yeah. I think Billy was going to answer no, that it question. Was, it was James. Oh, okay. Okay. No, it it's was nice Jimmy. to be the smartest. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty irrelevant. I, we don't, none of us really think about that. I'm, I don't know. I was, I don't think in those terms I never did. I, I guess I was always sort of a tomboy or something always you know playing with race cars and you know army men and building forts so i I don't know it's just normal for me okay we have an email so she built forts so it was normal for her yes it's it is fascinating to hear her talk. He really, yeah, I, just to her voice. It reminds crazy. you of the mystery. You don't. We don't really know this person. No, we we don't know a thing about her. I think <laughs> that people have projected a lot onto Darcy, and the Darcy in their mind is very different than the actual Darcy. The next clip, which is, is fascinating to me, was in two thousand nine. There's a local radio show had just interviewed Davy Jones of the Monkees <laughs> live on the air, 
and out of nowhere, they got a phone call. <laughs> and it's from Darcy, so let's yes. hear that, because this is wild. Hey, this is Darcy Pumpkin X. No way. For real. I don't believe you. I'm in Michigan on my horse farm. I didn't know Davy Jones was a jockey. That wrote, that's so awesome. I only caught the tail end of that. What, are you, what, what are you doing? How are you listening? Uh, I was coming back from a friend's house and listening to the radio, which I never do because I'm on my farm and fixing fences takes a lot of time. <laughs> Have you, uh, I haven't heard from you in like I, uh, years. Have, when was the last time you talked to anyone? Have you talked to anyone here recently? No, no, I, I haven't talked to anybody. No what's, what's your birthday? I want to make sure it's you. 51868. Sorry, that's, I'm just That's you. I'm Listexic. Everybody knows that. I, I can prove it's me. Yeah, my ex-boyfriend passed away a few days ago. I'm like, I can prove it's me. My ex-boyfriend was passed away oh, God. Uh, a few days ago. It's really horrible, but I hope he's better anyway. That's really unfortunate. What, what are you doing with your life? Um, right now, I was just really excited by uh, uh, listening to Davy Jones and singing. He sounded awesome in the studio. Very cool. You know, I'm glad. He's a great singer, man. I didn't realize he was that little that he could be a jockey, though. Jesus. Oh, he's tiny. I'm a, I'm a slight fellow, and, and I was towering over him. Wow. Yeah, he's a little guy. No, I was just listening to that. I never go to shows or anything anymore. I hardly ever... Get off the farm. It's a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work. A lot of horse poop. So, do you ever? So, she really is wrestling horses and, and whatnot. That was a very fascinating little bit of found audio. Thank you, Andy. Sure. She sounds like she's living a life. She actually sounded like she is doing a thing, which is living on. It's her yeah. mom's horse ranch. I believe so. She's from Michigan, and after stuff the pumpkins. I mean, Billy Corgan says that that when she left the pumpkins, her plan was to go to Hollywood and become an actress. Right. But she quickly moved back to Michigan to the horse farm. And she was arrested at some point because her horses ran onto the neighbor's property and caused damage or something. I mean, there's <laughs> these few like little like Darcy stories that pop up in the press occasionally. She says, this, it's all very confusing. The interview she gave to AlternativeNation.net is very confusing. But, you know... That's the story that Billy told. She kind of blurs the line between whether she was fired or she quit. She was. She says she was trying to quit, but they wouldn't let her. And then they maybe gave her time off, but then supposedly, but then actually fired her. She said she was having quote thirty panic t- attacks a day and had a nervous breakdown. So the the Darcy story is obviously a complex story, and you know we we wish her well, obviously. But again, the pumpkin story has been fraught from the beginning. It all started to fall apart actually with Jimmy Chamberlain yeah, in the, his first exit in the band because there have been many. Yeah, uh, and it was a pretty tragic story. What happened? Yeah, they were on tour in 96 for Melancholy. It was the peak of the band. They're playing arenas. They're all over MTV. And their touring keyboardist, Jonathan Melvin, died of a heroin overdose. And then Jimmy, at the same time, he was busted with tons of drugs in the aftermath of the arrest. And they fired Jimmy. And he was a key part of the band. He's this monster drummer. And they carried on with a replacement drummer on the tour, but they were really like kind of wounded by that. It was a major thing. And when they came back in 98, they decided to make an album that was called The Door with a drum machine. And even when they played Tonight Tonight on the VMAs, mm-hmm. that was not Jimmy? No, it was the drummer of the Frogs. 
so that's how early this became a problem. Right. So at the peak of the band, it's already in meltdown mode. And that performance, to me, was the most grandiose thing that they ever did. It was the first performance at this huge VMAs with a big symphony and Darcy in this white dress. And I remember as a teenager, they just looked like the coolest thing ever. And they were on top of the world. But yet there was somebody else playing the drums. And it was all about to kind of fall apart. And then next they did they did Adore, right? Yeah, they did Adore, which had Perfect, was a great single. The song Adore was great. But to the rock fans, it was too many synths and drum machines. Let's hear Tonight Tonight, the VMAs, which I remember so well. It was the opening. Yeah. It was the opening of the VMAs that year and also the literal end of alt-rock. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny. You can, to me, the drums sound a little anemic. You can actually yeah. hear it's not Jimmy. It's because because Jimmy is a monster, and it wasn't quite the same. On on, on the tour that they did for Door, they got John Mellencamp's drummer, which was like Kenny Aronoff, who was also a beast. He's a great drummer. I actually saw them play with Kenny Aronoff, and I remember. It was for uh, no, it was an outdoor performance in 1998 for the David Letterman show, and they were supposed to play a whole concert on the street. Mm-hmm. It got shut down. Uh, you can actually look up my article for it from 1998 if you're insane and want to do that. Mm. But it was really funny because they made poor Kenny kind of dress in a pumpkin's outfit. Yeah, they put like like this bald dude that was 20 years older than the rest of them in like sunglasses and stuff. He was, he was kind of glammed up a bit. I like that album very much, and it actually was a brilliant move to do an album that's synth and drum machine based right. if you lose your drummer. But from 95 with Melancholy till 98 was a big three years for the music industry. It wasn't as rock focused anymore. It was, the, it was like the Spice Girls time. And so the Pumpkins, they just seemed a bit passe. Yeah, it already had slipped past them. And one of the things that was really impressive is Billy, as early as the interviews for Melancholy, was aware of this. You know, he was aware that things were starting to slip away, and that's why he moved into the into the Adore right. sound. Because the alternative moment, which has left a huge footprint, was really a brief window of time. Right. And he was trying to look for a way out of it, but was already hobbled. It's like we see this in a lot of areas. Sometimes the times are changing against you, and then you're also hobbled by your own internal factors. Right. And so it, it's very yeah, difficult to move it forward. It was too much to bear. They brought Jimmy back on the latter part of that tour. Yeah, they couldn't. And it kind of foreshadowed a thing, which is they couldn't quite keep him out. He also was... Yeah. He's one of those drummers. It was... I wouldn't, you know, compare him to Keith Moon directly or anything, but sometimes you have a drummer. Yeah. Sometimes there's a drummer yeah. that defines the sound of the band as much as the I'd singer. I'd say it's sort of like Max Weinberg a bit in any street band. It's just raw power that backed it. That was a real just trademark. What's well, also the Pumpkins didn't have just sort of beats that sat there. They mm-hmm. have extremely dynamic drum parts that yeah. a, a style that Jimmy was a very important sort of 90s drummer. He really established a style of yeah. drumming, you know. So on the next album, which... Well, before we go to the next album, we're, we're always one second behind. Let, let's just hear Adore and remind people what uh, what they were hearing at that time. Yeah. 
See, I love that. It's it also does sound a little bit like Octung Baby era U2, which is funny. It's a great song, and that single Perfect, if that had been out about three years earlier, it would have been number one. Yeah, so it didn't work out, and then Jimmy comes back a little bit. And, and there was one month of a tour with Darcy and Jimmy. Completely back. They were yeah. back. So it was, it was like 12 shows or something, and then Darcy leaves. Yeah. Then they ring Melissa off that, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. in From and Hall. and they decide to do an album that's sort of back to basics. And in the history of rock bands, the back to basics album is rarely a move that totally works. Right, and it, it was mocking uh, the hands of God. Right? Yeah, which was in two parts, if I recall. Right, weren't the, there two the, of them? The, the second part came out in a limited edition vinyl thing. When they broken was, up. I don't. Can you obtain and, that thing now? I think so. Yeah, and then yeah. what happened is is it didn't sell well. They go on tour, and then Billy starts to really complain to the press. He famously said that we can't compete with the Britney Spearses of the world. Right. Well, goddamn, he was right. The thing about <laughs> the thing about Billy is, you know, that he had a very clear sense of these things. Yeah. He saw that by 2000 it was a different universe. It is a really interesting thing what, yeah. what we don't have yeah. is like Kurt, we never got to hear like Kurt Cobain being like, God, uh, you know, I feel like our ticket sales are going down with these Britney Spears, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what Billy, by giving us the, f- the great favor of, of sticking around and trying to make it through all this, we got to see what this journey was like. Yeah. You know, it's fraught. It, it, it's, it's fraught. He was trying to do, here they were, you know, one of the great bands of the alt rock era being overwhelmed by a, a tide of Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys and, and Britney's, you know, it, it, yeah. it really happened. Yeah, and if you're Pearl Jam, you don't even try to be on the pop charts. But right. Billy came from Billy's idea was Cheap Trick or whatever. He wanted to be in the pop mainstream. He didn't yeah. want to make cheesy pop songs, but he wanted. He didn't have a vision for himself that was. This is sort of his nemesis, the uh, pavement-like vision. He didn't understand right. that thing. Why would you want to? you know, go on the sidelines and do your cute little thing and not go for it. If you're not going for it, you might as well be dead is kind of the Billy Corgan idea. Right, but if you go for it big and you fail, you fail. And if you don't try, you can't fail. And then you're adrift. So after that, the band breaks up. They do a big farewell concert at the Metro in Chicago and there was no Darcy on stage. And Billy said that was the last time that he saw James Eha that he didn't say goodbye to him. That James walked away and he didn't talk to him again for 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, James was like in New York, we'd see him at shows at Irving Plaza all the time. Yeah. He was just hanging around. Yeah. You know? But he did not see Billy Corrigan. And then a few years passed it. He, was, he toured with New Order as their guitarist. He was all adrift and totally lost for a couple of years. Billy did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, James. No, yeah. Sorry. I mean, yeah. Billy Corrigan. And then he forms Juan. Juan. And... The Zwan album actually, I think, and I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I think if they had called that Smashing Pumpkins, Mm -hmm. I think people would have absolutely loved it and called it a huge comeback. Right. The uh, debut album was Mary Star of the Sea, and it got good reviews. There was a song called Honestly that was the single. Yeah. It did get critics were actually kind of psyched about it is the funny thing. They did one tour, um, and Billy complained that the other guys in Zwan that weren't Jimmy Chamberlain, they became like big assholes. (laughs) Well, he had these, in a kind of perverse move, he had these super cool indie guys in the band right you know guys like Matt Sweeney all the guys he kind of could come from the exact world that he doesn't understand and, and yeah. shit upon it was it was some kind of there's the psychology behind that is, yeah. is interesting right and then they tour and do no pumpkin songs 
So let's let's hear a little bit of, of Zwan, which is a sentence that has not been said <laughs> recently on the planet Earth, I have to say. Let's say it again. Let's hear a little Zwan. Is it true? Do I care? Honestly, you can try great and with that with that drum sound with we went which which hammered on drums it's the it's the pumpkins it sounds like well it's it. preposterous it's billy and jimmy chamberlain which is, which is siamese dream and just some yeah. some other people playing yeah. but there's there's not a, a super right. ton of logic to it yeah so swan breaks up and he's even more adrift and he's like screw it i'll go solo that's right. In 2005. He, five, he records a solo album, but in the crazy move, the day it comes out. Do you remember? Here's an Andy test. Can you yeah. remember the name of the solo album? Oh. It's, it's really good. It's, I can't. It's The Future Embrace. Yes. All all one word, which is a very 2005 thing. Everything yeah. was one future, word. Future sex, right. love sounds, the future yeah. embrace. It was exactly. all one thing. So the yes. day it comes out, he takes out a full page ad in newspapers in Chicago saying he wants the pumpkins back. Someone said it would be like George Lucas the day of a small indie movie saying, hey world, I am doing more Star Wars also. I mean, one of the things I, I do really love about Billy Corgan is despite his blatant and sort of undisguised desire for sort of bigness and success, yeah. He also there's a real awesome streak of perversity in yeah, him, it's just perversity, and right. it is so hilariously perverse to the day that you put out your first solo album to take out a newspaper ad saying like actually I want my band back right. it's crazy it's just crazy yeah. I have to say yeah. it is so crazy he goes on tour and is just playing solo songs and the whole world is like wait I thought the pumpkins were going to come back right and the it actually includes it, it included a Bee Gees cover uh, the solo <laughs> album it it was it was really something but so yeah so what happened next uh he does a solo tour of clubs i don't think it goes very well because fans show up and they hear just new solo songs and then a year or two passes then rumors start forming about a pumpkins reunion and billy tells a story that he meets with the label and it's him and jimmy and new people and they go wait isn't this just Swan again? If it just you, <laughs> it's like how is this the pumpkins? And he goes, "No, I'm going to call it the pumpkins." <laughs> He's like, "You don't get it. Yeah, it's the pumpkins." Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, as opposed to most reunion tours of the era, like the Pixies or Pavement or whatnot, they have a new album, and they go on tour and they play a ton of the new album. Yes. And there's no James, there's no Darcy, and he is unapologetic about it. He's like, he's like, look, he even, I, I remember when he was interviewed by Austin Skaggs at, at Rolling Stone. He goes, look, if the band does reunite, this will not be a thing where you go to your arena and you hold your lighters and you sing along to the great hits of the 90s. So this is the tour I think he told me about where it became so perverse. No, no that was the next one. Okay. They did a 10-year anniversary tour that was not long after that, maybe in 09, where they did like two and a half hour sets or three hour sets. Yes, and what he told me, and I really wish I'd seen this show for myself. I, I desperately right. do. So they play endlessly. Uh, there was all different members, yeah. uh, except for him and Jimmy Chamberlain, called the Smashing Pumpkins. And the set included a 25-minute cover of Pink Floyd's Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun yeah. that was enhanced by bird sounds. Yes. He said, and he really was talked about this with great pleasure and i love this about him he said that he really felt like there was violence brewing in the audience <laughs> that 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 there was there was genuine danger that the audience might yeah. full-on revolt during this right and then and then jimmy leaves the band 
and now it's even less pumpkins than Zwan. It's just him. Right. And he actually told me, he admitted to me that it was sort of, there was something perverse again about that album. It was almost like punishing the fans. It, it was just all aggression with no real, <laughs> not a lot of songwriting or melody. And I, I, he also said in, in another interview, he's like, you know, people expected it to be some huge epic statement, but we didn't really have the band together. So it's sort of like he has basically written off this album. But let's hear the song Tarantula from 2007's Zeitgeist by Smashing Pumpkins. So, you know, totally fun. So then they they move on. Jimmy leaves again. Yes, he leaves again. And then the parade of replacements come in, both bassist and drummers. Well, let's get to my favorite moment, which also is the moment I got to see in person, which is for a brief time, there was the largest age diversity in Smashing Pumpkins than possibly any other famous rock band ever. He recruited as a drummer this kid, very young kid, like 19 years old, named yeah. Mike Byrne, yes. who had been working at McDonald's yes. and kind of played like Jimmy Chamberlain. The, the kid was fantastically talented. Yes. And awesomely, he, on bass, although he never, I don't think, really played live shows or anything, he had this guy, Mark Tulin, right? Mm-hmm. And Mark Tulin was the bassist for the electric prunes. He was in his 60s. So you had a dude in their 60s, a kid who's 19 years old, and Billy. It was the greatest thing. And he actually seemed tremendously happy. And they both seemed like really nice people. And Mark Tulin was awesome. He actually was (laughs) a psychotherapist as well. And he he was just, he seemed like an incredible, I had lunch with him and Billy. He seemed like such a great influence on Billy and he could tell old LSD stories and then Billy would tell his LSD stories which included by the way all four members of the Smashing Pumpkins tripping on LSD during shows which he said never went very well Um, so that was a great moment but that didn't last and eventually again despite Jimmy talking so much shit and Billy talking much shit Jimmy has been back for a while yeah they did it yeah he toured in the summer of 2015 with like, Marilyn Manson. Yeah. And a few weeks prior to the tour starting, for some reason, the drummer left. So he called Jimmy up, and, 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 and despite everything, so much shit talking back and forth, he came back, and he rejoined the band. By the way, one of the things Billy said to me is, about Jimmy is, have fun touring in a van for the rest of your life. <laughs> so I, and then they did a theater tour. It was just last year. It was acoustic, and James Eha, he came out at about two shows. Which is sort of the exact equivalent of Duff suddenly showing up on the Guns N' Roses tour, and it's all on. So that, more or less, <laughs> has been the story of... Latter-day Smashing Pumpkins. I, I really hope that we can talk to Billy and the band and get their side of all this sometime soon. But uh, this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyden. I was in the studio with Andy Green. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106 at 1 p.m. next Friday. In the meantime, we are a podcast. You should download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a review, as I say every week, especially on iTunes. I really do read them. Um, I appreciate the guy who said that he was mad before that we didn't play enough music, but now we've been playing more music, so we've been trying to play more music for that guy. Thank you. And in the meantime, we will see you next week, and thanks so much for listening.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.